Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On today's show, we welcome back Jim Christopher, host of the YouTube show, Let's Get Two. Jim travels to different minor league baseball stadiums throughout the country and produces some amazing shows about these ballparks. We'll also hear from John Fitzgerald, founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation, who will go through some April birthdays. This has been a great way to focus in on some Irish-born and Irish-American baseball players who've had some success at the big league level. Let's get things started with Jim Christopher from Let's Get Two. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. I can't, I'm excited to be here. So let's start very first thing right off the bat. Explain to everybody listening your show, Let's Get To. The show Let's Get To, and it's Let's Get To. It's not Let's Play To. It's Let's Get To. It's a reference to the famous mound scene in Bull Durham. You know, candlesticks make a nice gift. We can always see where she's registered. All right, let's get to. But what our focus is, is we're a minor league baseball show. We are all about the minor leagues. And I mean, affiliated, I mean, independent, I mean, collegiate summer league, I mean, efforts to grow minor league baseball in other countries. That's what we focus on. So our show is very much a travel show. It's all about the cultural impact of the game and what going to a game is like, and really just painting the picture that there's a lot of baseball happening all over the country. That's not relegated to 30 major league cities. So how long have you been doing this show? We are premiering our fourth season in about a month and a half. Basically, we'll do three or four episodes that'll focus on kind of just broad strokes of minor league baseball. We'll interview some teams we're not going to visit. And then beginning with opening day of MILB, we'll be visiting 23 teams over the season and I think 14 states. So before we move into the future, let's go back a little bit into the past and talk about some of your favorite visits over the first three seasons. Well, there's been a bunch and, you know, there's only really been one stinker of a visit that just, just didn't work. They were rude and they didn't understand what we were trying to do. And it was a whole thing. Most of the time though, it's awesome. When I think about best, you know, I can talk about going to um, Cheney stadium for the Tacoma Rainiers up in Tacoma, Washington, which is one of the most beautiful ballparks you'll ever visit. It's got one of the most, uh, just, I mean, first of all, it's the Pacific Northwest, right? So it's beautiful. There's just trees everywhere. Um, And so that was just a great time. Great people. They love their team. Um, But it's also like going to Greenville, Tennessee and seeing the Greenville Flyboys, which we went to visit just this past year. You know, when you walk into that community, they're so welcoming and excited that you're there. And they just are just some of the best hosts that you can imagine. So What I like about this so much is that it's really about people. And I'm a vet. I served this country for seven years in the 90s. I absolutely am unashamed to love America. And I love that I get to see stuff of it that I had never seen before because of this game. It's been, it's a pretty incredible experience. So I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was about a 90 minute drive away from the Phillies, a 90 minute drive away from the Orioles. So we didn't always get to go to major league baseball games on a regular basis. And we lived off of minor league baseball when I was a kid. So this is something that is definitely kind of near and dear to my heart. 
did you face something similar or what made minor league baseball become such a focus for you? Honestly, I'm new to it. I grew up in Houston, Texas, so I am a big Astros fan. I know you just lost some listeners, I'm sure, but it's fine. Y'all get over it. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Astros fan and um, I pretty much grew up at the Astrodome. And so for me, I was going to the Astros 40 to 50 games a year. I knew minor league baseball was a thing because I saw Bull Durham at way too young on HBO. So I knew, I knew it was a thing, but not until I married my wife, who's from San Antonio, and they went to missions games. And I remember going to a missions game before we moved to Germany. I was getting restationed there. And we watched a former UT University of Texas catcher steal home, a catcher steal home. And I was like, this is awesome. And from then on, I'm in the film business in Austin, Texas. I'm on the circuit all the time. And anytime I'm on this, I'm away, I would just go find a ballpark to sit in, get a break from the festival. And coming from that, and, and I sort of retired from the filmmaking side of things and thought, you know, I love this. I've fallen in love with it. Why not do the show? And that's really where it comes from. And in a lot of ways, it's me discovering it as well as it is, you know, the viewers through our show. And being from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we were about a 30 to 40 minute drive away from what might be the best minor league ballpark in the country for the Reading Phillies. I guess they're now the Reading Fighting Phils. I yeah. want to know, have you had the chance to visit or are you planning on that in the future? Visit, yes. Seen a game, no. So I went to check out the Harrisburg Senators last year and wish I'd gone to Reading instead, but that ballpark is gorgeous. It looks like it has to be the best place to see a baseball game, for sure. So on an interesting side note, I was actually the official scorekeeper for the Harrisburg Senators for two full seasons. The Harrisburg Senators play on City Island, which is cool for some of the visuals. However, they get those mayflies coming in off the Susquehanna oh, yeah. River once the sun goes down. And it is sometimes a pretty rough place to see a game. It's intense. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you're definitely going to have to make the trip to Reading and see a game there sometime because there's a lot of history there. Schmidt came up through Reading. Rocky Calavito played there when Cleveland's minor league system went yeah. through Reading. It has just played host to so many incredible players throughout the years. Ryan Sandberg, everybody forgets he started his career with the Phillies. He came up through Reading. So there's a lot of history there, and it's a really good one. <laughs> They'd like to get that history back, wouldn't they? With the Phillies, they'd like to get Ryan Sandberg. Too bad they got rid of him. <laughs> I think they just want to get back at this point a good farm system, which they haven't had in a long time. They yeah. pretty much have to staff up through free agency and trades. But you did mention the San Antonio missions, and I know that is one that is really popular for baseball fans. They love seeing the San Antonio missions. What's the game day experience like there? It's very San Antonio. And I mean that in, in the most loving way I can. I absolutely adore San Antonio. It is rare for a large American city because people don't realize it's a big city. It's a top 10 in the U.S. city, but it has the most unique personality. The sort of history of Texas is always on display. The Mexican influence is always on display. And you see that in the ballpark environment. The other thing that you see in the ballpark environment that I just love is the, the military presence because you've got three Air Force bases there. You've got an Army base there. So at any given game, you'll see cadets or trainees that maybe get their first weekend pass and they go to a ball game. So you have all of this stuff going. 
you've got Mexican street food going on. You've got so much happening. It just really does feel like you're in this, like what, what the city of San Antonio feels like. It's amazing. So that does move us into the next part of your show. And you really like to focus on the food, on the beer, on the atmosphere, and not just the game. So why don't you talk about that a little bit in general when you go to a new ballpark and you try to find out what their signature dish might be or you're in San Antonio, so you know you have to try some Mexican food because you're going to get great Mexican food in San Antonio. What's the process like when you're trying to figure out what you want to try at these places? The funny thing about that is I think after the second season of the show realized how much weight I put on just by trying everything. So I had to start to be judicious. I will always have a dog because I think you have to have a dog at a ballpark, but then I will, I'll ask the ushers. I'll ask fans. Hey, you're a regular here. What do you have? I think about this thing we had at the gateway Grizzlies. Like we all realized my whole team, there was four of us there from the show. We cut it into fours. They called the greatest burger on the planet. And it's a hamburger with Krispy Kreme donuts as the bun. And I really thought immediate vomit when I heard it, when they described it to me. But I'll be honest, biting into it and the way the sweet and the savory mixed together, it was delicious. I can always find food. The thing that will disappoint me is when you go to get a beer and then the only beer they have is Bud Light. What I loved about Harrisburg so much is they have a bar now in the back of the outfield where it's all microbrews from the area. Like, you know, being in Austin, um, Austin, Texas, we have microbrews are everywhere. So to me, that's part of the culture. And I'm not interested in a Michelob. I'm not interested in anything that's sort of, I'll get a Dr. Pepper over a Bud Light any day. But so I love seeing that. I love being able to really experience beer made as close to the ballpark as possible. And what I've loved is that so many teams are having local breweries license a beer named after them, or you could go to the Durham Bulls where they have a microbrew like in the ballpark. So it's such a big part of it for me. And again, like it's all about just trying to discover what different parts of the country are like. And that's a really great way to do it. And I know using Harrisburg as an example, because I spent a lot of time at that ballpark and just a few blocks away You have sort of the party atmosphere on 2nd Street in Harrisburg because you have a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants, or at least you did when I was there. I don't know if Harrisburg has changed since I've moved. Is the area around the ballpark something that you try to experience with these shows? Do you try to look around at maybe some of the history in the city some of the places that you might eat before the game, because sometimes that's as much a part of the experience as the game itself. A hundred percent. I mean, we will always go to try to find something of historical or cultural significance in town. We definitely will try local restaurants and things. We will often have, and it'll become a bigger focus next season, having someone from the CVB, the Visitors Bureau, to come on the show and talk about what to do when we go to uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, and the game's over or before the game starts. And so uh, it's always, always a big part of it. I think one of the coolest things, because I'm a, I'm a movie guy too, was we went to see the Joliet Slammers in Illinois. And then we went to Joliet Prison and we saw, you know, where Jake Blues got out of prison. So it's absolutely a big part of it all. Like my favorite thing is breakfast, where I go find a local greasy spoon diner, you know, and you, you see the old guy that's got his booth. I mean, I love all of that stuff. And I think it's something that we're, you know, those of us who live in big cities, you don't get that experience anymore. And I'm very jealous of it. I grew up in the third or fourth, depending on when you measure it, biggest city in the country. And so I have this love affair with small town America. And I think it's really fed through 
this show and that part of the show, the local sort of cultural side of it. I'm very much a logistics guy. And as I hear you talk about some of the venues that you've seen games already, you've been to Harrisburg, but haven't seen a game in Reading yet. And when you're just putting together a show, you don't want to do just this season is the Northwest or this one's right. the Northeast. So how do you sort of plan out what venues you're going to try to experience for that season and do the travel? How do you plan this out? Because I think a lot has to go into it, right? It does. And the first thing I'll do is do a shout out to good friends of my show, baseballmapper.com, who've created an interactive map of every single ballpark and team in the U.S. And that helps a lot. But right now, I'm, I'm one of the angles for our show is I'm on my quest for 50 to see a game in all 50 states. And so that's a part of it. And then I'll identify some teams that I think deserve our focus. And a lot of that will come as simple as how do they interact with us or other people on social media, right? Like a great example of that is we're going to go to Spearfish, South Dakota to see the Sasquatch this year. Those guys are great. They're doing wonderful things for the community. So now I'm like, okay, well, that's not an easy place to get to. What can I find in a reasonable for a Texan, which is longer than most people driving distance that makes sense. And so now what I have is a, is a road trip. I'm so excited about coming to fly to Colorado Springs, check out the vibes. And then we're going to go to gem city, which is Laramie, Wyoming to see the bisons. And then we're going to Casper, Wyoming to see uh, the horse heads and then the spearfish for the Sasquatch and then back home. And so now I've now knocked out three States that I've never seen a ball game in four new teams I'll do that four or five times this summer, right? I'm going back to Pennsylvania. I'm going to go see the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs and then the Brooklyn Cyclones and the Wilmington Blue Rocks all on a trip. And none of those drives are longer than about two hours away from each other. So uh, that's a big part of it, but it's fun. It's fun. It's disappointing. I thought this year was going to be our Alaska trip, but we ended up getting an unbelievable package of free place to stay and golf in uh, Traverse City, Michigan and Mackinac Island, Michigan. So um, we'll be doing that instead. And we're going to go to uh, Hawaii and um, in Alaska in 2023 to kind of cross off the hardest states to get to. Do you think making these small town trips and driving between Casper, Wyoming and a small town in South Dakota, that you really get to see something about the United States that a lot of other people don't get to see in their lives? Do you think you're almost using minor league baseball as an excuse to go places that you might not have checked out otherwise. Absolutely. So there's a lot of reasons why uh, I sometimes feel like I'm a big comic book guy. And I, I, I always, there's always these like runs where captain America would drive across America to like see the country. He didn't know anymore. Cause he was knocked out. So there's a lot of that in there, but yeah, it's a big reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, there's certain groups of people who dismiss what they call flyover country, right? The area between a flight from LA to New York, and they refer to it as flyover country, like it doesn't matter anymore. And my argument is it matters. These are people that are doing their thing. And they're, in the case of these minor league baseball owners and teams, um, they're trying to support their community. They're trying to, um, like during the pandemic, they were feeding people and they were having vaccine sites in their parking lots while worried about whether their business was going to survive. And so we need to realize that in a country growing more and more, I think, controlled by corporations and, and all of that stuff, that there really is a lot of uniqueness and specialness alive still in our country. I know that when I was a kid and going to a lot more minor league baseball than I did major league baseball, one of the things that really made it exciting 
was when you started seeing these players that you saw from 20 feet away all of a sudden on television as they made their way through the minor league system, made it up to the majors. I know you don't talk about prospects and you don't talk about the stats of the games and things like that, but it does have to be pretty exciting because by now, once you're in season four, some of the players that you were seeing in season one are probably now making big impacts at the major league level. For as much as we don't talk about prospects on the show, because teams don't market prospects, right? Because you don't know how long they're going to be there. It does kind of help determine where I go because I still love baseball. I remember being disappointed because I couldn't see Casey Mize play in the minors. And now he's up for Detroit and he dominated the Astros twice this year. Like, and I knew him because I watched minor league baseball and all my friends were like, Oh, rookie pitcher. They're not, Oh, you're not going to knock this guy around. And so it's fun. It's also fun to realize how through the eyes of players, small the community is. And one of our big trips this year is to go see the Martha's Vineyard Sharks on Martha's Vineyard in mass. And we're also going to do a Jaws tour because again, movie guy, one of the guys that I covered, he's a U of H baseball player. He played collegiate summer baseball in round rock during the pandemic season played in Martha's Vineyard last season. So he sees my tweet. He's like, Oh, you've got to check this out, this out, this out. So the eyes of the player, it really is a great gauge to really get to experience just how small the world is of minor league baseball. But yeah, it's cool. It's cool to have seen, being an Astros fan, how many, I go to so many Hooks games. Well, those guys, if you don't know even about what the Astros had to deal with the last two years, their entire starting rotation was in single A a year ago, or a year before the season started. So uh, it has been fun to see those players move up. Obviously, my version is not as organized as yours, but if I'm driving across the country and I've had way more cross-country road trips than one might imagine, I'll try to stop in some of these small towns and see the minor league baseball team. One was sort of in your neck of the woods. I mean, not really that close, but in your state. I was able to see the Midland Rockhounds. Have you ever been to that ballpark? I know them well. I've been out there... I think three times now. Sometimes I just go. I have business that I have to do in San Angelo, Texas a lot. So I get out there. But yeah, they just did a big rebrand too. They got one of the best looking. Uh, it's still, they're still the rock counts, but they really cleaned up the look. Yeah, know them well. Midland captures so much of what I'm talking about. Like if you go there, it is inescapable that that town is built on and supported by the oil industry. And they're not afraid of it. They're not ashamed of it. But I love that because you can then go to normal Illinois and that's a town built on the corn industry. So I like being exposed to all of the impact that these communities are having. And it, it's really, really special. Not to actually get political. And obviously we have people listening who have all types of different political views. This is just stating something historical. They also have the childhood home of George W. Bush is there in Midland. And I think it's really, really funny that there's a sign when you enter Midland that says the former home of President George W. Bush, but it does not mention that obviously there was another president living there at the same time. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's funny though, because I love that story though. I'm a big fan of H.W., of his dad. Um, and he used to talk about how like when they moved out there to, to get in the oil business, they lived in a duplex and they didn't realize that they lived next to prostitutes. And it was just sort of this funny thing that they never really noticed until many years later. I don't know. It's such a, when you bring that up, I thought it was funny. 
And it does have a lot of that Americana that you are right off the highway in a city like Midland. You're just driving on 20 and yeah. and there's just this city there and you can stop and you can get some really good Mexican food. You can get some really good Mexican food in Midland, Texas, and then go see a ball game and then hop back in your car and drive straight through till Dallas. Yeah. Absolutely. That was Jim Christopher on the Irish Baseball Podcast. You can check out Jim's show, Let's Get Two, on YouTube, and he'll certainly be doing more with the Irish Baseball Podcast in the near future. I'm Rick Becker. Right now, John Fitzgerald joins us again. Thanks for being here, John. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. So let's do it. Let's get into some of those April birthdays. All right. April birthdays, April Irish baseball birthdays. So on April 2nd, we have Tommy Bond born in Longford. He was the first Irish born major leaguer. He led the league in wins, ERA and strikeouts twice and retired with 234 wins. And on April 2nd, we also have Hugh Jennings. His parents actually came over from Mayo, lifetime 326 hitter, Hall of Famer. He was inducted in 1945. Also on April 2nd, we've got Don Sutton. His Irish roots go a bit further back. He's eighth generation from County Down. Obviously, Hall of Famer, 324 wins. And on April 4th, we have Gil Hodges, third generation. His great-grandparents came from Galway and Sligo. And, uh, you know, he was just inducted into the Hall of Fame, 370 home runs, 1,200 RBIs or over 1,200 RBIs. Um, Obviously, the Mets manager for uh, the Miracle Mets in 1969 and one of the best fielding first basemen of all time. That is one heck of a week, honestly. Those are a lot of very, very good ballplayers who put up some big time numbers. And even with Gil Hodges, somebody who waited a long time to get into the Hall, but now he's there and definitely a big week yeah and bill deneen april 5th from county cork he was a pitcher um i'm sorry he wasn't from county cork his parents were from county cork he was a pitcher won 170 games and was a four-time 20 game winner and then he went on and umpired in eight world series so uh he's not a hall of famer but that's that's an impressive uh, baseball life and then on april 7th john mcgraw whose father was from tipperary and he was a 334 hitter As a manager, he won three World Series, and uh, he retired with the second most wins. And if memory serves, the first most wins is also um, an Irish baseball legend, Connie Mack. Um, But yeah, so that that from April 2nd to April uh, 7th, we've got got a few Hall of Famers. We've got um, Bill Deneen and Tommy Bond, who, you know, had some great careers. So yeah, really interesting stuff. So on April 8th, we have Jeff McNeil who is fifth generation and the family name actually that we traced back wasn't McNeil. It was Coyle. April 9th, Mike Muldoon from Westmeath. He played five seasons in, I believe the late 19th century. He was a 233 batter, but he was actually born in Westmeath. Chuck Connors was born on April 10th. Chuck Connors, uh, his great grandparents were born in Waterford and Connors actually, there was a time when he was supposed to be the, um, Brooklyn Dodgers first baseman of the future and he lost out to Gil Hodges and he went on to become a uh, an actor in Hollywood and um, starred in the TV show The Rifleman. April 14th we have Greg Maddox sixth generation from Cavan so his roots go pretty far back but um, 
Greg and uh, and Mike Maddox are uh, both from Cabin, or their families are from Cabin. So I just want to step in here for a second about Greg Maddox, and I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like Greg Maddox might be the last regular-looking guy to be an all-time great. I feel like he's the last guy who isn't overly muscular or in any other way looking like exceptionally large. Like I can't think of anybody who has that build who is as dominant anymore, but Maddox just looked like a regular dude. You'd be playing in your softball league. That's a really interesting point. I, I would say that uh, Tom Glavin too, you know, they, they would both fit that bill and both hall of famers and both with Irish roots. So that's an interesting way of looking at that. I, I have to think about that a bit more, but I think you're right. All right. On April 17th, we have Tom Needham who was born in Cork. Played about 10 seasons. Didn't really do anything too spectacular, but he was born in Cork and, and played in Major League Baseball. So that's pretty cool. April 18th, we have Joe Maurer. And he goes back to his great-great-grandmother, who was born in Mayo. Our research, when I say our, I mean Tim Carr, who's our resident genealogist. He's traced Joe Maurer's family back to, there's, there's several lines um, under the Tierney, O'Malley, and Murphy names. So he goes way back, um, but obviously it's, um, you know, a few different family names, which is interesting. And then on April 21st, we have Joe McCarthy. His family came from Limerick and Wexford. And McCarthy was the Yankees manager uh, for, you know, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it was seven World Series. But um, he does have the highest winning percentage for a manager in the regular season at 615 and the highest winning percentage in postseason, which was all in the world series. And his uh, winning percentage was 698. He also has the most wins by a Yankees manager with 1,460. So that's impressive stuff. He was actually the guy who uh, was hired as the manager when Babe Ruth expected to become the manager. So they kind of uh, never got along, but uh, you know, I guess at the time they called him a push-button manager, but he won, and uh, you can't take that away from the guy, and you know, he's got Irish roots. It's always great to sort of look back and see some of these Irish baseball legends, and in some cases, just guys who were born in Ireland, came over here, maybe had a cup of coffee in the majors. They're not all Hall of Famers, but it's nice to give some of these players the recognition that they deserve for what they did accomplish. Yeah, that's right. So thank you so much for being back on the show, John. Thanks, Rick. I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 32 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.